It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's brought to you by First Community Mortgage. This podcast, we talk about a little bit of everything. Plus, we've got a gambling segment and my favorite segment of the podcast, the end of it, when you can ask me a question on any topic, go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything, and it can literally be a question on anything, and I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. Uh, Rick, we are plugging away after a crazy weekend in the NFL that saw me lose a couple of parlays after I had already counted them as wins. Thank you, Baltimore Ravens. Thank you, Cleveland Browns. Um, I may have to take a deep breath and, and stay away for a weekend, although I'm up for the season, but but it just felt like last weekend was a kick in the teeth. Uh, bad week for the AFC North. Bad week for you gambling, it sounds like, in real life. Although in our Pick'em segment, you did well. Great. And uh, really, quite honestly, was we'll talk about in a little bit, it was just kind of a bad week for college football in general. Not a Not a lot of fun stuff to talk about there. But the NFL was crazy, and the AFC North specifically was down bad last weekend. The Bengals are now 0-2 after Sunday's 2017 loss at Dallas. They'll take on the Jets in New York this Sunday at 1 p.m. on Local 12. Skinny, Joe Burrow's play has been a big topic of conversation this week since the loss. He's been sacked 13 times this year already with four interceptions. How much of the blame for the Bengals' issues on offense, particularly the sacks, do you place on Joe Burrow versus the offensive line? I'll go 30% Joe Burrow, 70% offensive line. And um, I, I asked Brian Callahan on Monday when we got a chance to talk to him. We talked to uh, a different coordinator each Monday, depending on how the game goes. We ask for, for you know, if the defense doesn't play well or maybe they both play. We, we just asked for one of the coordinators on Monday. We get another one on Wednesday. So Brian was the easy choice after this this game. And, and Brian gives very long-winded answers, but I always think he's very interesting. Um, and I asked him that. I said, how much of this is Joe holding on to the ball a little too long? And I don't mean just stand up, but, but trying to let plays develop down the field. So a lot's been made this week, Rick, and I thought our friend Tony Pike did a great job on, on his Twitter account trying to explain how to attack Tampa 2, cover 2. Um, and it was actually quite comical, but at the same time, quite enlightening probably for a lot of people. And he was talking about the whole shots to the towards the sidelines deep. And it feels like Joe's kind of sitting there waiting for those to develop when he doesn't have the time right now for those to develop. And I said, how much is he not taking easy throws? And he said, there's some of that, no question. He said, part of what makes Joe great is Joe extending plays or letting plays develop and seeing those develop. And he said, but right now, probably he needs to take the safe, easy throw. And, and it's not just a check down throw. It can be a 12-yard dig. It can be an eight-yard slant. And you saw some of that in the second half. I think the first play of the second half was a quick pass to either Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins. I can't remember which. Right over the middle on a quick slant. The easy open area of, uh, against Tampa, too. And I think as the offensive line gets some cohesion and development, um, together, I think you'll see him be able to take more time. But for right now, they're not playing very well. They're not playing as a collective group. And maybe we expected too much of that group right off the bat. And we'll probably get to that a little bit more in a second. But yeah, I think it, about 30 to 30, 30 percenters on Joe Burrow. Yes. Yeah. As it relates to Burrow, I think the one thing we've seen is teams have done their film study on him after last year. Sure. And they've decided the answer for covering him or playing against him is a Tampa two defense. We know this because he claims their opponents haven't been showing Tampa two in the games prior to playing them. And all of a sudden he gets out there and it's different from what he's seen on film because they're in a Tampa two. So clearly they've decided this is what you use to beat Joe Burrow right now in his young career. It feels very much like we talk about in baseball. A lot of times where guy comes out pitcher hitter rookie year or first half of rookie year sets the world on fire. He looks great. Then all of a sudden tapes out on him. People see his weak spot and they go after him and you see a little bit of a slump after that. I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with Joe Burrow. Now, well, let, let, let me equate this to last year and Pat Mahomes in the Bengals playoff game. You know, part of last year when the Bengals made that comeback was Lou Anarumo literally rushing three, dropping eight and saying, you want to throw underneath us, go ahead. You're, you're not going to throw these deep over routes to, tra to, to, to Travis Kelsey or the deep routes to Ty Tyree Kill or anybody else. And Pat Mahomes, the storyline after that, he wasn't patient enough. And so I think some of that is, and you see Pat Mahomes this year has hit the ground running again. I'm going to guess he went back and looked and said, you know what? That's what you're going to give me. That's what I'm going to take. I'll take what you give me. And that's what it is. And then I'll take my shots when I get a chance to take my shots. I think that's kind of the development too for Joe Burrow of, of understanding what, what kind of what you said. Hey, now they've kind of adjusted to us and, and Jamar Chase and me and what I like to do. And now I have to readjust to them. And if it means I have to take an easy eight yard completion, I'll do it. 
Yeah. And I think when you look at the number of sacks Burrow has taken just since the start of last season, it's astronomical compared to any other quarterback in the NFL. And the Bengals have a terrible offensive line, and it was terrible last year, too. But it's not, at least I don't think, it's not so significantly worse that the number of sacks should be that much higher. So to some extent, it has to be a Joe Burrow thing. It has to be somewhat related to his style of play and how he's doing it. So I think he definitely has to change. But I would also say, to your point about it being 30% him and 70% offensive line, Almost any of the blame that I put on Joe Burrow, I feel like almost always originates from he's been hit so many times and he's been pressured from all angles so often that his timing and his feel within the pocket are understandably off at times, I think, right now. Yeah, and and, and I, I'll go back to again a couple. Of, you know, one of the things about Tampa too is you, you you know you got a light box, you got four guys at the line of scrimmage, linebackers dropping, so you should be able to run six against four if you if you include a tight end. They haven't done that very efficiently or effectively. In the in the Dallas game, they um, they got behind the sticks, and you know you're second and thirteen in this league, or, or first and fifteen in this league, and and you know suddenly you're in second and long or third and long, they're going to come get you, and it, it makes it a lot easier. You know they got behind in both of those games. They got behind in the Pittsburgh game in part because of Joe Burrow throwing a pick six early, and, and then throwing another pick that led to a field goal. So then that kind of changes the script a little bit too. So I think that it's a it's not just pointing to the offensive line and going they suck. And listen, Lyle Collins has sucked, and Jonah Williams has sucked. Um, but I think I'm guilty of this. I, I said this yesterday with Mo Egger and, and, and um, you know, I think we all assumed that just because you've upgraded individually at each position, that collectively they were going to hit the ground running and be great. And that's probably, that that's not going to happen in this league. It's why, listen, they need to do what they did, but good offensive lines for the most part, you might add a piece in a season through the draft or through free agency, you're not going to add four pieces and hope that it becomes great right off the bat. And I assumed it was going to be because individually they're all an upgrade on paper. Collectively, they're just not there yet. And and I guess shame on all of us, myself included, of thinking, well, they're, they're going to be better because they've just got better guys. Well, it doesn't happen that easily. That's right. But also, I don't think I mean, expectations were too high for this offensive line unit to get yes. started with yes. no prior games under their belt together. And you're replacing so many guys, but at the same time, I think it was understandable for us to expect. I didn't expect them to be great. I knew there was going to be issues, but I didn't expect them to be God awful. And they've been God awful. At least well, like you said, both tackles. have. Yeah. Been. The, the interior actually, and again, I'm not a huge PFF guy, but I know a lot of people are, a lot of listeners are, and the interior is actually graded out as the eighth best interior line so far through the first two weeks. And Cordell Volson graded out as the, I think the best guard in, in the NFL in pass blocking last week. So the interior has been pretty good. The right, edges, but, Lyle Collins has been horrifyingly yeah, bad. Yeah. The issue is what does a good interior get you if you've given right. up 13 no, sacks their two games, no, right? I, like I, that doesn't really right. mean anything. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> In his career, Burrow has started 32 games, including the playoffs, and he's been sacked 115 times. That's 3.6 sacks per game. David Carr led the league in time sacked in three of his five seasons in Houston, 02, 04, and 05. He was sacked fewer times per game than Joe Burrow has been. He was sacked 3.3 times per game. Andrew Luck was sacked 76 times in his first 33 games, including the playoffs. I've seen this a little bit on social media this week. Is there any concern that Joe Burrow ends up like Andrew Luck and he decides he wants to quit due to taking too many hits or he ends up like David Carr and the confidence is ruined. He's just not the same guy after a certain point because of all the hits he's taking. Do you worry about that at all? I don't worry about the David Carr effect because he's too, he's just too mentally tough for, for that. And he's too good for that. David Carr, David Carr was a good quarterback, and he got beat into submission. And I don't. I, and the thing for that is, I don't know if he was ever going to be a great quarterback. I think he was very good. I think the sack certainly affected him. I don't think it, that that part affects Joe Burrow. I think the thing where it's tied to Andrew Luck is if he suffers another catastrophic injury. At what point does he say, "I'm I'm not doing this"? And that's what Andrew Luck. It came to the point of he got tired of get hurt. Rehab, start over. Get hurt, rehab, start over. And his some of his stuff was catastrophic to where it was significant rehab, and he had enough money in his pocket, and he's a smart enough kid to go do other things that he said, I just mentally, and I don't want to go through the grind of this again. The one part, and this is not a knock on Andrew Luck, I think Joe Burrow loves football. I mean, loves every aspect of it. I think it would take him literally getting beaten to the point where physically he can't do it anymore uh, for him to get away from it. 
but it is a it's a goofy bad trend. There's no question about that. But yeah, I I don't worry about that only because I do think. And again, I'm not knocking Andrew Luck. I think Andrew Luck probably at one point loved football too. Maybe not as much as Joe Burrow. Dude, Joe Burrow loves football. Uh, he loves talking football. He loves all the grind that goes into playing football. I'm not sure Andrew Luck was quite there, which is fine to each his own. So yeah, I don't. I honestly don't worry about that. I, I do worry about you know more catastrophic injuries if that's the case. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point between the differences between Luck and Burrow. I mean, Burrow's from mid- Midwest Ohio and ends up going to LSU and Ohio State, two football factories. You know, I mean, like, this is what he was doing. Andrew Luck went to Stanford and got an architecture degree. Right. You know, so like there's just a different mindset there of how you're approaching the football experience from the very beginning. If you look at those two guys and I'm with you, skinny, like as much as Joe Burrow needs to stop getting hit for his own health and for the future of his career in the Bengals. He's also a guy that like, I think he kind of enjoys the, the toughness of football. I think he likes running into guys when he, he takes off. They had to, they had to teach him how to slide when he first got into the league. Oh yeah. Some of the slides, remember some of his early slides were ugly. Right. And cause he didn't want to go down. He kept wanting to run into guys and stuff like that. So that, that's part of who he is. I don't think he's overly discouraged by the hits and the sacks, even if they have certainly affected him because he does have some happy feet. He does seem like the feel and timing are a little off when he's in the pocket right now. And that's understandable if you're constantly running for your life back there and trying to get out of the way of 300 pound men that run four five forties. I, I get all that, but I do think there is a difference between him and Andrew Luck. So I've seen some some worry about that and some comments to that effect. I just don't think they're the same people, and I don't think they're in the same situation. No, and back to the timing aspect that you just mentioned with the happy feet, and I, and I think there, there's no doubt about that. You know, maybe he also had that false sense of. This line's going to be better for me. They have to be better for me because I know you know who these guys are and where they came from, and they've got skins in the game and they've had success. So I'm going to have to trust these guys. And you know, maybe he he got too cocky with it. Of oh, I can stand back here and scan the field. No, you can't. Not right now. I, you know, hopefully in this week or next week or three weeks from now, they get better as a group, and you can do those things. But right now, your timing mechanism has to be first guy that's open. You're open. I'm throwing it to you. And I think maybe part of it could have been towards the end of last year, even though they stunk, you also get used to it and you kind of know where you stink and you know where the pressure might be breaking down and you know where the communication is good and all that. Right now, they've got that that situation where the communication isn't there. And I don't know if Lyle Collins even knows what the hell they're doing based on some of the things we've heard and seen already. We're going to get to him in a minute. Yeah. So. You've got that situation where he may not have the feel for, okay, at least I'm confident this will hold up, or at least I'm confident they'll communicate this pass rush over on this side and we're good. It's coming from every direction right now. So I think that's throwing him off a little bit too. So, Skinny, what else came out of your time with players and coaches this week? Um, The term execute was thrown around a lot. And um, I love people on Twitter and fans who will talk about us. James looks flat. It's not a matter of flat. Can you come out occasionally flat in sports? Sure you can, but not every excuse is, these guys don't have the fire and they're, no, they aren't executing very well. And and it is, I think this team, when you cut to the chase, I thought Zach said it on Monday best, we have the talent to win games. Um, I don't think that was said in a cocky manner. I think he understands, I got myself a damn good roster and this roster is good enough to win games that, and you know, the whole Joe Burrow yesterday kind of channeled his own Aaron Rodgers of relax and I think that's the. I think there's truth to that. I think this team is really good, and I think get yourself a win under your belt and and kind of take a deep breath and go. Okay, we 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 blew two games we shouldn't have blown. You know, we're we're a we're a hurt long snapper away from clearly getting a win in week one. And as bad as we played for a half in week two, we still had a chance to go steal one on the road. Um, you know, I, I, I do think there's a, there's an element of that to it of just chill now. You also are out under the pressure of 0-3 is really, I mean, 0-2 is hard to come back from statistically to make the playoffs. 0-3 is extraordinarily difficult to come back from to make the playoffs. So there is some pressure here, but I think that relaxed mantra is right. Just relax for a minute. Yeah, and especially with the way the schedule sets up right now, like they've still got a little runway left before it gets really difficult. Yeah, 0-3, 0-3 losing to Joe Flacco, Cooper Rush, and... um and Mitch Trubisky is awful. You can't yes, have that. 100%. And Owen, Owen too, is awful, to be quite yes. honest, if, right. if no, you're right. in the Bengals situation. But there is time to recover for this group. And, and again, 
I don't think the issue for this team is a lack of overall talent, meaning when they face almost anyone else in the NFL, if they play close to their capability, they can beat anybody. And and that's the best point, Rick. Yeah, 0-2, and and you're like, how do you lose those two guys if you are a good football team? Well, that's football. That that happens. The thing is, 0-2, when you're like, oh, this team doesn't have enough talent to overcome this. You're thinking, no, this team has plenty of talent to overcome this. So that's, I think, the part that you go, okay, relax, because this team is talented enough to win a lot of football games and string a lot of wins together. Yeah, I think a lot of people in Cincinnati have been in that mindset for so long of if this goes perfect and and this guy doesn't get hurt and this guy plays above his career level, then maybe everything goes perfect. We've got a chance to compete this year. I with the Bengals, I think we're actually past that stage. Now, don't get me wrong. They could they could be right in that same spot and have a 500 record or losing record this year with the way they've started and prove that they're not really that type of team. But talent wise, at least they don't have to be perfect anymore they've got enough talent to go on a run like they did late last year we'll we'll see what happens but I, I think that is an important distinction well, and, and listen in a, in a way Zach Taylor put himself out there by saying we have the talent to win so that, that you know that coaches don't readily admit that a lot of times right I thought that was kind of an interesting of which then puts the onus back on him and his staff too Frank Pollock said he likes the direction that they're headed in I thought that was uh maybe one of the most annoying type of comments that coaches make. <laughs> Why insult our intelligence like that as fans? Why be so just uh what what what's the word for it? A uh, aloof or act like yeah, the, it, the reality isn't there. I mean, why say something like that? Yeah, he, he talked to a couple of us after practice yesterday. A couple of us requested him, and and um, I, I like Frank a lot, but um, you know, I, I I tried to give him an out with one of my questions of, and I can't remember how I phrase it, but you know, I kind of like what I've talked about here. Of I think everybody took for granted how much time it was going to take for a group to be cohesive. And I know he was, I wasn't looking for him to give me an excuse. I was looking for him to kind of explain how that that's tough. And he did say along those lines that, yeah, I mean, you know, we, 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 we need to get this fixed as a group sooner rather than later, but yes, it does take some time. And he said, you know, we've had two games with live bullets and I know that everybody points back to, well, you're trying to play them in preseason. We're really, we're, we're, we're two series in preseason going to fix this. Were they? No, and those guys were legitimately rehabbing for right. Half that's the other, preseason. right, right, right. Well, legitimately for one guy, I don't know, but yes, yes. All right, so it feels like you want to you want to talk about Lyle College. It feels do. like you got some things to get off your chest there. Let's go in that I direction do. here before we wrap up the Bengals segment. Okay, what's so, what's see, your deal with Lyle College? So here's the, so I don't ever want to want to point a finger at a guy with an injury and go, oh, you're not all that hurt, guy. Um especially with the back. I can't tell what it is. He does look stiff. He has not looked right from, from training camp on. So maybe this, this back issue that kept him out of the first few weeks of camp is truly legit and it's never gotten right. And maybe it doesn't get right. But I guess what bugged me a little bit about yesterday and him missing practice yesterday was, and listen, rehab and all those things. If, if, if it's a, if the back issue is, is not bad enough to maybe keep you out. There was no injury designation in the Dallas game. There was no injury designation coming out of that. Now, listen, the back could have spasmed up on him on Monday and Tuesday for all I know. I don't know because you never get a clear answer. It's a back issue. Dude, that always sounds like a convenient excuse to me a lot of times. But yesterday is a big mental rep day for this team. Their Wednesday practice is a, is really not a physical practice. It's a mental practice. Where were you? I mean, he wasn't even out on the field. I mean, what what are we doing here? Are we are I hate to do this and I'm gonna do it because I did it on the radio yesterday. Are we back to Cordy Glenn territory again? Well, and the one of the things that came out that I thought was the most damning in terms of pointing the finger at anybody this week was I don't know if it was uh, Zach that talked about this or Brian Callahan that talked about this, but there was a play where Michael Parsons came free. Right. No one touched it was, it was him. Brian. Yeah. Yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian explained it, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah, and he basically said that it was just an inexcusable lack of communication by Lyle didn't understand the pass protection that right. they were in. Right. Yeah, they were they 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 motioned Drew Sample in to 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 help block the interior where they looked like you know they were gonna get a, a runner, which meant that everybody else had to kind of block out. And so Lyle being the furthest out at that point was supposed to block the furthest guy out. He didn't. If you notice Two or three guys go to block one guy. That's inexcusable. That's a rookie. I might give you a pass, kid. Not a veteran. That's just like, if all else fails, 
wh- why not touch the best player on the field as he's racing by you? If you're not doing anything else, why not just stick an arm out there and at least get a hand? I mean, you just watched him go by him in, in real time. It looked crazy, but then you're thinking, who knows who that was on? Maybe someone else completely screwed it up. But of course, no, it was it was the guy who looked pretty dumb while it was happening. That was the guy who didn't know what was going on. That's a bit of a concern. I will say, I mean, you spend all that money on a guy. He's supposed to be talented. He certainly physically looks the part, but mentally, I'm not sure if he can handle switching teams like this and picking up a new system for what we've seen. Well, and and now here we are, um, you know, he misses yesterday. Doesn't, isn't even there at all. Am I going to expect him to be ready to play this Sunday? Well, if he is, do you feel much better about? No, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I know everybody was giddy about the signing. I was not. I, you know, it, it seemed like he had kind of run his course in Dallas, and for for an offensive line that needed bodies, they just said, "See you later." There weren't a lot of takers for a reason. I think you're seeing why. Look, he, he is. Ta- he um, talks a good game. I'm your bodyguard. He's a massive human being. Yep. It looks like he can move bodies. I think he's very strong and powerful. Yes. But yes, I, I have my concerns right now. That's that's for sure. Now, I mean, it's I, very early. I it's saw him in the early. locker room. He was in walkthrough. I saw him in the locker room. Grant, I, maybe he went to a back specialist during the day. I don't know because um, I'm a little disappointed Zach didn't bring that up on his own, that Lyle won't be out there at practice because we don't talk to him after practice. We talk to him before practice, and they obviously knew he wasn't going to be out there. But, you know, are we going to have to start doing press conferences asking, is such and such going to be there? Is Fred going to be there? Is Jim going to be there? I mean, just give us an upfront be honest about this. If, 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 if you know. Fisher cut bait with this guy at this point. Yeah, it, 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 look, it's very, very early. We could in three or four weeks be saying, I, I said that in training addition. camp, though, Rick. I said that with the whole thing in training camp, and he came back. Um, he had had a personal day off in camp, and then he comes back, and he was didn't play very well. Then he's involved in the fights with the char- with, with the Rams because he got his ass kicked there. At what point do you just go, you know what, this is not working out? Well, we're we're not near that point yet, but really, I am officially concerned about it. That's for okay, sure. That, that's fair. That, that's a that's probably a fairer point than my point. I, I'm yeah. con- concerned is the right word. Yeah, I mean, like you know, again, it. I I didn't expect him to be perfect right away, and I do think there was some type of legitimate setback with his back. If that's still a nagging problem, then that sucks because you got damaged goods essentially sure, for and, all and that sure, money. And, and if that's legit, that I, I get it. But at that point, then then get him right, and and don't play him until he is right. Yeah, and back things can be tricky. I mean, they're sure, weird, but but look, sure. that's that's beside. Like to me, it's whatever whatever all that is. Get it fixed, figure it out, and get on the field as healthy as you can be. But the the mental stuff is where I'm like, you you better get better quick. Yes. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add to the Bengals or this week's game against the Jets before we move on? No, I I, I mean I, I hate to do the must win thing, but it is a must win. You just you can't start zero three and think you're going to dig out of that to make the playoffs. That's extremely difficult. Um, I put a piece up on Monday. Um, you know, four hundred teams have started zero and two since the since the NFL merger in in nineteen seventy, the AFL NFL merger to form the two conferences, the AFC NFC. Only thirty eight of those teams have made the playoffs. The Bengals have started eighteen times zero and two in their in their illustrious franchise history. How many of those teams had a winning record, let alone make the playoffs, Rick? Zero. Try zero. Zero winning records. Now I think this team is probably more talented than any of the other zero and two teams I could point to. <laughs> I'd love to think so as well. Yeah. Yes, but that's still a damning statistic, is it not? And then and let alone if this team were to go zero and three, and again zero and three losing to Flacco, Rush, and Trubisky. That, that's the most damning part of it. It's not the 0-2. It's the 0-2 in games that you would put in the must-win, or not must-win, but should-win sort of, column. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that that's that's really the tough part of it. So we'll see what happens this week. They are uh, minus six, as we'll, uh, minus five, as we'll talk about here it's during pretty, our betting. It's a pretty segment. heavy road favorite, to be honest with you. I was a little surprised by that, if I'm being honest. All right, let's get to some college football talk real quick. The AP Top 25 poll this week. Has Ohio State still at number three overall? Kentucky up to number eight. Cincinnati is in the others receiving votes at 31st. Kind of a boring week for the local teams. We talked about at the top of the show. uh, Kentucky shut out Youngstown State 31-0. Ohio State finally poured it on offensively and beat Toledo 77-21, unfortunately for us after we cut off that train. And uh, Cincinnati beat Miami of Ohio 38-17. I guess... We'll start with that Ohio State game, Skinny, because we've been talking about this 
Buckeyes offense and how explosive we expect them to be in the first two weeks, a little bit disappointed in their effort. And then sure enough, as soon as we uh, decide to, at least I bet the under, I think you had the over in that game, but we both picked Toledo to cover all of a sudden CJ Stroud goes for 367 yards, five touchdowns. He's still yet to throw an interception this season and they have three receivers go for over a hundred yards. So (laughs) it feels like the Ohio state offense has, clicked as they would say well it's it's now averaging 45 points a game through three weeks i said i'd be disappointed those offense didn't regularly get 50 they're close to averaging that um i think you saw and listen some of that's mac related although toledo's arguably one of the top two or three teams in the mac and the mac teams at least battle power five teams usually especially the upper echelon of the mac um but i think you also saw just how explosive this ohio state offense can be they're, they're scary Marvin Harrison Jr. has been a joke the last two weeks. Yeah, he had six catches for 102 and two touchdowns this one. He had a massive week week prior. Yeah, three touchdowns a week prior. Yeah, so, I mean, Ohio State basically ends up right where we expect them to be. This is what we were talking about before the season. It took a little bit of time to get going, uh, but they're they're there. And I do think Notre Dame's defense is – Decent. Yes. Their name yeah, is a they're, mess. They're, they're the very defense. hamstrung. Yeah, they're very hamstrung by their offense. Very yeah. hamstrung. Yeah. No question. Well, and I think you've seen it now. Yeah, Alabama had the scare at Texas, um, but still found a way to win. Uh, they've had two bye game victories at this point, so you really don't know maybe how to read Alabama yet. But I think we we can pencil three teams into the college football playoff right now, and that's Alabama, Georgia, and, and Ohio State. I hate to do that. That's so snap judgmenty early, but. It just feels like somebody there's a bunch of teams playing for that four spot at the moment. I think that's right. I think that's right. So I honestly, I felt overall this week, we just didn't learn a lot about the college football world, both locally and, and from a national perspective, you see, I think kind of a similar thing for you see as Ohio state right now, the, the wide receivers have just really impressed me. They've got a lot of weapons. And I said this on Twitter while watching that game, they've had a nice run of wide receivers at that school. I'll be honest. You know, even when they were down seventeen to seven, I I, I would I never felt like they were going to even come close to losing that game, and they didn't. No, it's, um, it's funny. The, it's funny you say that though about them being down seventeen seven. That is the perfect example of why live betting is the best. Oh, you're if right. You, if you were able to pull the, I mean, because you could see it on TV, Cincinnati was going to win that game. Right. That line at at that point when it got down seventeen to seven. UC was just a touchdown favorite at that point oh, at minus Lord. seven. It's like oh, you could have gosh. bet the house on that and felt great yes. about it. Oh my gosh, yes. I wish I I wish I had I don't live bet, but I wish I would have seen that and done that. I'm with you. Um the thing I guess I just still don't understand, I guess it's just the, the mantra of voters in general, especially poll voters. Um you know, Arkansas is a top ten team. UC actually went backward this week in the rankings. So they got less votes this week than they got last week. And I know it's Probably people look and go, oh, they only beat Miami Ohio by three touchdowns. Dude, they went to Arkansas toe-to-toe with them. And they, they, were the won that team my, they were the better yeah. team in my opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that either. Now, I get that they haven't really played good competition since that game. So I understand not getting giving them a bump after you you sent them out. But what do you but think? You this- Ar- but you gave Arkansas a bump after beating because of beating Cincinnati. Right, right. No, I, I mean, look, the, the Arkansas game, I can't explain why Arkansas is so high and Cincinnati is moving down. But I understand no one's going to get too excited over what they've done the last two weeks. What do you think this week means? Because Indiana isn't good by any stretch of the imagination, but they are at least a Big Ten team and a name that people are going to to catch when they see Cincinnati's playing Indiana. They'll notice that one more so than when they see Miami of Ohio. What do you think this game means for them in terms of that national perception? Yeah, don't don't let it be close, I guess. Um, and listen, I'm not here to tell you it should be a three-touchdown victory, although they're a handy favorite in this game. Uh, you know, Indiana quarterback Connor Basilak had really good success at Missouri, so he's played um, high-level competition in both the in, in the Southeastern Conference. He hasn't played it yet at Indiana because he hasn't played a Big Ten game with, with Indiana yet, but he's a big-time quarterback, and they've got some weapons, and they've got some dudes. They're, they're not great defensively. And if you look at some of their first first couple of games, they, they had to rally um, in week two from a halftime deficit. They had to rally in this one to beat Western. And I'm not here not Western's going to end up going to a bowl, one of those crazy Bahama type bowls. Um, they're probably one of the better teams in the in the in the in the Sun Belt. But um, it's still it's Western Kentucky, and you're a Big Ten team, and they had to get a last ditch field goal to win that game. Uh, actually, a field goal in overtime to win overtime, that game. Overtime, yeah, yeah, in overtime to win that game. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it'll be kind of. 
a little bit Miami-ish where you're going to be a little nervous for a little while, but I think UC is just too good. And um, when we get to the betting segment, I, I think they probably end up covering. Uh, 17 point spread. We'll talk more about that there in a second. It's a big number. Let's wrap up with UK real quick. Kind of a weird game given UK had three turnovers in this one and still had a shutout on defense. Uh, Will Levis threw for 377 yards and two touchdowns with two interceptions. Freshman Dane Key had another big game, six catches, 90 yards and a touchdown. He's had a touchdown in every game so far. The true freshman. freshman. Yeah. Yeah. He's from Lexington. He's going to be, he already is special from the looks of it. The I guess the one topic that's kind of come up, I've seen looking at some of the ESPN guys and others who do draft analysis for the college football season. There is some concerns about Will Levis's propensity to throw interceptions. Yep. I, th- I think it's legit. Um, he threw one where I'm not sure what he saw. And the funny part is he, he still completes such a high percentage of his passes on top. It's It's weird. He does have the propensity to throw the the questionable interception at times where you're like, that, where, where are you trying to fit that into that window? I think he's got such confidence in his arm that he does take chances that he probably shouldn't take. Or maybe I would say this, Rick, that he takes them in games where he realizes, I'll take the chance because I think I can fit it in there. And if I turn it over, we're still good enough to kick this team's ass. I think there's a little bit of that going on too. The problem for him is, from a draft perspective, oh, right. I know. they want to see, can you turn it off against a team that you're clearly better than? Right. Like, you should recognize this stuff and not make those mistakes against Youngstown State, and yet he's still willing to just go ahead and turn the ball over sometimes. And like that honestly is how it looks. He's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to win this game either way, so I'll throw this one up for grabs because who knows? Maybe yeah, now, maybe Dane Key will go make another play for him. Yeah, the other thing too, though, in his defense – um, he's gotten sacked a bunch, which is a little disturbing. Um, I, I, you know, Florida sacking him isn't disturbing. It's it's an SEC team, but they he got hit a lot in the Miami game. He got sacked yeah. a bunch in the Youngstown game. They really still have not gotten the running game untracked to this point. So he's been in some really bad down and distance situations where he does have to make a throw to keep the chains moving. So some of that, uh, I kind of you know feel for him in that regard that he's having to do so much. Uh, but I will say this. That defense is elite. It's not Georgia elite, but it's damn, damn good. It's going to win them a bunch of games, in my opinion, in the SEC. Any other thoughts, college football-wise, whether it be local or national? No, I, I will say as much as it was kind of a down day a little bit, I did for, – for me, that was the first Saturday I've had where I had nothing to do. I got a chance to watch my my daughter's um, dog. He's a, he's a male Shih Tzu. I've got a couple of female Shih Tzus. So, literally, dude, we laid in bed from about noon – to the point of where the Auburn-Penn State, the that 3 o'clock window kind of got out of hand. The Oregon game was out of hand. So I made a quick run to the liquor store, came back, and watched the night games and kind of fell asleep around 11. So I literally did the whole vegetable watching football from noon to 11. It was great. Yeah, there, there's nothing better there's nothing than the better. occasional binge for 12 hours. Yep. All right, let's get into our betting segment where I was awful last week. Two and six. You were five and three. All right. I'm now 10 and 12 overall. You are 12 and 10. All right. I'm a little above water. Well, that's right. So we'll start Saturday at 3.30. We've got the Indiana at Cincinnati game. Cincinnati is a 17-point favorite in this game. 57 and a half is the total. I I love the over because I do think Indiana is going to score. And I I think this Cincinnati offense is, is really, really good. Um, These two teams, I think, are ranked ninth and 11th in passing yards per game right now. Yeah, and, 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 you know, UC scored 24 and a half in Arkansas, and they they would have scored in the first half if not for for a couple of, you know, a turnover and a botched field goal. Um, So this this offense is almost, I I think this offense is better than last year, to be quite frank. I think it's more potent than last year. you, know, you're, you mentioned you got you got dudes at wide receiver. That's even after graduating Alec Pierce. You got two NFL tight ends. You got a bevy of running backs. You got a really good offensive line. And honestly, I, I know you're not a Ben Bryant guy. I think he's played really well. Uh, you know, yeah, in oh, the first half against Arkansas. Look, I, I I am interested still to see what they have in Evan Prater because he just seems more dynamic back there. But there is no denying that Ben Bryant can push the football downfield, and he's doing that right now. They do seem like they're taking more shots with Ben Bryant than they did last year with Des Ritter. Des Ritter, yeah. Yeah, I'll go. So I'll go uh, go UC 45-23. So the Bearcats in the over for me. All right, UC in the over for you. I just feel like this is too big of a spread for a game against a Big Ten team. I know Indiana's not good, uh, and maybe I'll regret this, but UC has had those slow starts a little bit too. I feel like Indiana is going to be in this one, and UC will win, and I don't think you'll necessarily be worried about them winning, 
but I don't know that they cover 17. I'm gonna, it is. I'm going to say UC 35, Indiana 24. I like the over, like you said. Uh, so I'm going to go IU in the over here. Okay. Saturday at 7, we've got Northern Illinois at Kentucky. Kentucky is a 26.5 point favorite. The total is 53.5. Yeah, 26.5 number gets you on a weird field goal number that can backdoor cover you somehow where they get a late touchdown and they kick the field goal earlier. And like, wait a minute, that, that shouldn't have happened. But Northern Illinois was up 28 to 14 on Godforsaken Vanderbilt, gave up 24 points, straight points to end up losing to Godforsaken Vanderbilt with a true freshman quarterback because their starter was hurt. Um, and Vandy rolls up 38 points with an awful offense. I think Kentucky names the number. I think they win this handily. I'll go Kentucky. I'll go Kentucky 48 to 10. All right, so that is UK and the over. Yep. I think the over in this game might actually it is my favorite bet of the week right here. Northern Illinois is averaging 33.3 points per game themselves. They're allowing 34. So just to give you an idea of where their average scores are at, 53 and a half is 20 something point short. And the one thing I would say is you, you get scared by that number because, as I mentioned, how elite I think Kentucky's defense is. But even as elite as you can be, when you start pouring subs in in games like this, it's hard to pitch a shutout. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Kentucky pitched the shutout last week, and I think people are probably reacting to that score a little bit. Even Vegas, I think, is reacting a little bit to that 31 nothing against Youngstown State. It screams Kentucky has an elite defense and, and maybe more conservative offensively. But again, they scored the, those points. With the turnover, they had three turnovers in that game. It could have right, very well right. been a 50-point game there as well. I think UK can score 50 in this game themselves. In fact, I'm going to say Kentucky 52, Northern Illinois 14. So Kentucky, I have a point and a half shy of getting the total by themselves. If Northern Illinois scores at all, you're going to be there easily. UK and the over for me, I think the over is a great play. I even, something I did yesterday while I was over in Indiana is I did UK alternate team total up to 49 and a half, I think, or 48 wow. and a half, whatever it was, and parlayed that with the over 53 and a half and got a got a decent okay. odds payout there. So yeah, I just fear the whole the, for, for Kentucky. I, I think the total in the game is 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 a great bet. I'm with you. I I fear the bringing backup quarterback in to get him some snaps. So Will Levis doesn't, I mean, Will Levis played literally the whole game against Youngstown for whatever reason. Um, I, I feel garbage snap time in the fourth quarter is going to cost you the Kentucky team total. I swear I do. I hope I'm wrong, but I will say to your point, Northern Illinois has given up 27 to Eastern Illinois, 38 to Tulsa, 38 to Vandy. Yeah. They haven't played Kentucky's offense, which is better than all three of those combined. Right. right. Kentucky could have 45 points at halftime Maybe. with the way this Northern yeah. Illinois team plays. I and hope for your sake they do. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. If not, it was it was I thought it was worth a shot for the payout. Uh, Saturday, 730. You got Wisconsin at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are 19 point favorite. The total is 57. Yeah, I, I feel like I would be the one that in years past would get suckered into man. Wisconsin will keep this thing close in the ballpark. Their offense is so damn pedestrian. I, I can't I can't I can't do it. I, I think Ohio State does whatever it needs to do. I think they get back into the. Do they get to the 40s? Maybe not, but I don't know. I, I just don't know who stops it. Georgia's defense is the only one that can stop this Ohio State offense, in my opinion. Uh, I hope that's the national championship matchup because it would be absolutely fascinating. I'll go Ohio State 42, Wisconsin 13. Yeah, we're very close on this one. That score would put you at 55, so you're two points under there. So you're going OSU and the under. I like OSU as well. I'm going to say 42 to 17. I think Wisconsin is absolutely awful. So I've got OSU and the over. And that brings us to Sunday at 1 o'clock. You know what's funny about, about Wisconsin, by the way? What's that? This will be the fourth straight state team that they've played. They played Illinois State, Washington State, New Mexico State, and now Ohio State. I wonder what statistical anomaly would have anybody doing that. I wonder if they're the only team to do that this year. It's pretty interesting. All right. Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got Bengals at Jets. Bengals are a five-point favorite. Total is 44 and a half. Yeah, I'm, I hate to be a homer, but I, I I think the Bengals cover that number. It's a big number on the road. Listen, the Jets got manhandled in week one by the Ravens. They were literally down two scores with less than two minutes to go before Cleveland peed all over itself, which it, it did exactly what the Browns seemed to do and find ways to lose. So I'm not buffaloed by them coming back to win that game. Good for them that they did it. 
I'm sure it's in theory a confidence boost, but they were literally manhandled by two touchdowns plus in the first two weeks by two teams. I think this is a little bit of a get right time for the Bengals. They go on the road and get it done. So I'll go Bengals 31, Jets 20. All right, 31 20. So that is Bengals and the over. I am going to do the same thing as you in terms of the Bengals here. I'm going to learn from our Ohio State mistake last week. <laughs> we jumped off the train at the wrong time. We had both been betting Ohio State the first two weeks, just like, well, you actually, I think, bet against the Bengals one of the first two. Uh, I had the Steelers covering, I believe, in week one. Yeah, I think you I had the too. Bengals winning, but the Steelers covering. But I had the Bengals to cover both of the first two weeks. I got burn on it. I'm not going to make the mistake here. I think the Jets stink. You laid it all out already. So I'm going to stick with the Bengals here. I'm going to go in 24-17, Bengals and the under, and learning from my mistake last week. There you go. All right. Is there? I, I already gave my uh, UK betting strategy for this week. Is I, I, The other uh, game I really like is the Bills minus six over the Dolphins, which I imagine I'm not the only person in the world who's going to enjoy that. Yeah, I don't like yeah. Dude, I'm not sleeping on the Dolphins. I I'm not. I'm not either. Dude, and I love their dude, when cute they little quirky coach it. with all his nice little quotes yep. and all of that. But the Bills are still just unbelievable right now. If I can get them at minus six against basically anyone, well, I'm going to take it. Well, I so I'm going to go opposite you on that. I'm going to take Miami for two reasons. I think they're so dynamic offensively, and and I, I this used to be a big betting trend of mine. Which is everybody gets and listen. I'm not telling you you're getting fooled by this because Buffalo is really good. They're proved they they've proven over the last few years, and they're proving it early this season that, but it is the nfl the 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 team that pummels somebody on a monday night is always overinflated by the public and that's why to me honestly this line should arguably if you think buffalo is really good be higher the fact that it is where it is feels like it's the complete sucker bet of we're going to get you public you watch buffalo dominate and they uh, they in theory should kill this miami uh, no i'm i'm taking my I, i'm taking miami in the point i'm going to go that's my best bet of the week miami in the points I was shocked when this wasn't seven and a half. I know, I'm not yeah. I thought it was going to be seven and a half. And you're right. It feels like a sucker's bet because why why would it be seven and a half after the way Buffalo just played? The Dolphins are legit. I don't doubt that at all. But I just I'm going to take the other thing I like is uh you can go Buffalo and Chiefs reverse teaser, take them both up to 12 and a half. Ooh, I would not I would not lay 12 I think, and a half against I Miami think, offense. I think the Colts are an absolute fraud. I'm fine, Miami, I'm fine I don't with the think, Colts. is a fraud. Yeah, I'm fine with the Colts. I'm not – you, you want to give me 12 points in, the, in that Dolphins offense? Please give it to me. Fair enough. All right, ask any anything. We've got a handful of questions to run through here, so feel free to go as quick as you like on some of these. Thoughts on what Joey Votto did Wednesday night at the Reds game, Skinny? Did you see that? I did. Meh. I mean, okay. It's cool. The guy clearly loves the game. I'll give him that. He loves baseball and he's trying to do whatever he can. They made such a, the the TV broadcast made such a big deal out of it. They were falling all over. There's a, there's a lot of slobbing going on. I I get that what, what you're watching on the field sucks and you know, anything to distract you from, from that product, but it just felt so contrived. It just did. Also Votto that the dad bod thing is real. He he doesn't look great right now. Physically. (laughs) He looks old. Uh, he is. My God, he's he is. Worst. Athlete, he is old. Worst NFL press box food given the smorgasbord at Jerry's World last oh, week. Oh, Jacksonville. It's not even close. You get sandwiches in like a uh, in wax paper, and they're bad sandwiches. That is the the press box windows also haven't been cleaned since 1999, and literally it's one of my favorite stories of all time. And and this is true. I haven't been in there since 17, I think, since the Jalen Ramsey, uh, A.J. Green fight. But they had payphones still in the Jacksonville press box. What? I'm not. I'm, it's no lie. Is that the only one that exists still? Because I, two, I don't have, think you they, can they, find a payphone. They, they have two. They have two payphones in that press box. Wow. Uh, all right. With but, but yeah, their press box food's embarrassing. Bad. I, listen, I, I don't need you to give me a gourmet meal, but at least give me something other than a cold cuts in a wax paper and a, and a bag of, uh, of of Fritos. You you can do better. You're an NFL team. You make money. That's incredibly weak. With Reds attendance as bad as it has been this year, does Skinny think Bob C is making the family members of all the guys that have made their major league debut this year pay full price for tickets? <laughs> Wouldn't that be so on point? <laughs> that's why that's why they're setting the record for most players in a season. Uh, there, there have been a lot of those guys. 
Hey, eight members of the Friedel family. Or, well, he actually didn't make his debut this year, but who you can name all these guys. Eight members of the 32-year-old guy who's never been in the majors before family. You're going to bring all 30 of them in there. And, yeah, that's, that'll be $10 a piece, please. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I don't that's, know. That's if, a great question. I don't know if they're making the families pay, but I guarantee you they had a meeting about the bottom line some point. Look, look, we're giving away tickets to all these games. At some point, we're going to have to make these families pay. Speaking of that, I know everybody's kind of anti-Zach Taylor right now, right? But I thought he told a really cool story yesterday. Yesterday, um, you know, he was at that St. X Molar game along with a lot of other. Uh, yeah, Joey Votto, Tyler yep. Stevenson. Yep. I think Joe, Joe, Mixon. Joe Mixon. Yeah. And Luke Fickle. And he said he wanted, you know, he wants his kids to experience what high school football. And I think he's genuine about this. I think he really enjoys just football in general. It's a big game. He wanted to take his, his kids wanted to go. So he wanted to have them experience that. And he said, so I'm thinking, you know, it's just like any high school football game. I'll just roll up and buy tickets as I go in. He said, so I walk up at 659 because it's a seven o'clock kickoff. And he said, uh, I need nine tickets. And he said, the lady looked back at me and said, we've been sold out since Tuesday. And he said, now they were very nice. They had commented because I think they took them down to the field, let them stand there. But that was just a funny story. And actually it sounded like he wasn't trying to big time. Like, do you know who I am? Um, I think he was literally genuinely going to pay for nine tickets. Yeah, he was trying to be cool about the thing, go up low pri- profile with a baseball cap on and right. buy nine tickets, and all of a sudden he goes, "Oh, actually, uh, Do you I'm know the coach of the Bengals. Can you uh, can you yeah. get my guys in? Because I told him we were going to be able to watch this." Yeah, and, and to his credit, it didn't sound like he, he didn't try to big time it. It sounded like you know, obviously somebody recognized him and said, "Yes, you can certainly come into this game, sir." Yeah, that's funny. So I asked this question on Twitter, Skinny, and I got a fifty-one percent to forty-nine percent poll response. Okay. Do you think Urban Meyer could turn around Nebraska football? Nope. I don't think anybody can. I agree. I, I think it's I think it's that I, I think listen, they were so ahead of the curve as far as steroids and weight building went. And cheating and recruiting. I don't I don't even know about that part. Well, um, I mean, I just think it was there was a time where you could pay a lot of money for players and not everyone else was willing to do it. And yeah, maybe but, they but did but a I good do, job I, of that. I honestly do think they were ahead of the curve when it came to 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 what weightlifting and 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 offseason conditioning meant. And they also roided guys up to get that point too. And then suddenly everybody started keeping up with the Joneses. And that's what happens sometimes. You're a blue blood one day and you no longer are. I mean, that was a literal blue blood program for a long, long, long time. Kind of like Indiana basketball was for a long, long, long time. And guess what? Neither of them are anymore in their respective sports. And then Indiana, I don't know if they'll ever be a blue blood in basketball again, but I can still see being able to recruit Indiana basketball. Yeah, they're relevant. They're still. I relevant don't know just, how the hell. Like Nebraska should thank their lucky stars that they were ever relevant in anything. Right. No, how right. do you recruit to Lincoln, Nebraska? Honestly, right? No, I'm I'm with you. Listen, I think Urban Meyer's a terrific, a terrific college football coach, and I think he could win just about any place. I just think that's an unwinnable situation. You know, I know Mark Stoops' name has gotten brought into that, and and if he takes it, so be it. If it's for the money, never begrudge you for it. But I I just don't see how you turn that program around. It's Listen, Scott Frost seemed like the perfect storm, did he not? He had made his bones at a smaller college, well, a lesser college, had won, went undefeated with that lesser college, is the, the star son of Nebraska football as a player, and he couldn't get it done. Yeah, now I have a whole lot more confidence in Urban Meyer than I do yes, Scott Frost. Yes, I agree with that part, but still. But I I don't think Urban will take this job because I don't think he believes Nebraska football can be turned around, and obviously you've already seen that shot down publicly this week, but I mean, that essentially means nothing. He could still end up being Nebraska's next head football coach. I don't think he will though, because I think he knows it's a bad job. And also the longer he holds out, he's just going to become more popular for the next huge job that opens. He's, right. he, he will be the top candidate for almost any job that opens for the next two or three years. So uh, he still has plenty of time where he'll still be the hot name and everyone will want him and he doesn't have to take Nebraska. Yeah, I'm with you. Who does Skinny like to take over the Arizona State Sun Devils football program? A lot of college football uh, coaching questions here. Um, Darren Simmons, Bengals special teams coordinator. I think Darren needs to get a head coaching job. I think he'd be great at it. I really mean that. Um, uh, you know, Marv's out there still, I think. I think he's still a special advisor I, to the I sidekick. don't think they're going to hire a, a person off firm staff. I will say I'm that. I'm 99.99% sure that that's the case. You're right. And the other part is, I don't think Marv wants to be a college football coach. I think Marvin is still pining to get back in the NFL. And I know there's a lot of people bounding that, pounding that drum that he deserves another chance. You think anyone would hire him at this point? I, I don't for, for this reason. Although Lovey Smith um, got back into the league, right? Um, Todd Bowles got a second chance in this league. 
as defensive guys. It just doesn't feel like the trend right now is to hire old defensive-minded coach. It's more young offensive-minded guy. Well, I mean, that's the thing. So let's say you hire Marvin and things go well. You hire him next year. He's 64. He's actually going to be 64 tomorrow. Yes. Tomorrow's his birthday. Yeah. So you hire him next year. He's 65. Things go well. Five years, you got a 70-year-old coach and you're starting over again? Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I just, I yeah, I, I I can't see anyone reaching out to Marvin as their head coach. If it, I could have seen it happening, like I, I think he still had value and people thought he was a good coach after he left the Bengals. But now at this point, he disappeared for a few years. I, I think he's off the radar. And I, I how, would, say, how would you sell that to a fan base? Right. I, I will say that's probably one of my top three favorite campuses in, in areas. Arizona State? Yes. It's beautiful. I'll take I love your word Tempe. for it. I love Tempe. Do you have any sports memorabilia? Is there anything else you collect? Oh, I have a ton. And it's really not from collecting. It's just from having stuff. I mean, something here, something there. My, my most prized possession, probably, I have a real um, Bengals football helmet from their first team in 1968, worn by a, a, uh, a kid named Monk Williams, who was a very tiny kick returner. Um, and it barely fits my head. Uh, it's really, it, it's fairly small, but it's actually a real genuine helmet. My, my uncle was friends leather? with leather. No, not, not leather. They didn't play in the leather helmet days. Um, but yeah, my uncle was friends with the Bengals PR director. Uh, they were drinking buddies and somehow he gave my uncle a helmet. My uncle gave it to me when I was a kid. I've had it since I was five years old. Nice. Any other, any other good items in there? Yeah, I've got some autographed footballs and autograph. I've got a Bob Gibson autographed baseball when I was a kid in Tulsa. Um, the Cardinals, they were the AAA team for the Cardinals and kind of like what the Reds used to do where they play their AAA team. The Cardinals would come into Tulsa and play. And uh, I made sure to go get a Bob Gibson autograph. And I left that as the, I got, I got two baseballs. I bought an autographed Cardinals baseball, but I also had one that I got Bob Gibson by himself to autograph. So that's, that's one of my prizes. And I've got an original, the a, a football, same kind of thing along the, the lines of the Bengals helmet. I've got uh, a, a football signed by the members of the inaugural Bengals team in 68, including a perfectly placed Paul E. Brown autograph. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Do you collect any other things that aren't sports related? I used to collect uh, beer cans. Uh, in college, we had the big fishnet uh, on our ceiling and we throw beer cans in there and we collect different ones for that. And I had a big beer can collection as a kid, but uh, not as a kid, actually, in, in my college years. But uh, I don't know what it, if I threw them out or I just gave them away or sold them in a garage sale. And I had a bunch of pretty cool old cans with it, but nah, I kind of let that go by the wayside. All right. In a completely new direction here, what does Skinny define the west side of Cincinnati as? Um, yeah, I know people can throw the coal rains of the world in there. To me, it is, it's kind of the Western Hills, Westwood, Delhi, Covedale area. That's the West side to me. All right. I have nothing to say about that. I am terrible with Cincinnati geography. Well, and- I, they always, I, I, my, my grandmother, when I was a kid, I would go over to her apartment. She lived on, uh, Shorty Avenue there or Schwartz Avenue, whatever it was right, right there in the heart of Westwood. So I, I do have some West side roots to me, even though I'm a Kentuckian. I can only say this is the most Cincinnati question of all time. Like, where does this question even originate from? Who cares? Who's thinking about this? Well, I love that. Why no, does this no, come no, up? I, dude, I, I think we have great. That's why I think it makes this area so great is I think there's people like myself that are fiercely proud Northern Kentuckians and proud of, I, I love the state of Kentucky, but there are people that are just very staunchly pro West side. And then there's very staunchly pro East side. And then you've now got the burbs of, of uh you know of westchester and, and and that and i think there's just so great many distinctive parts that make this area so cool well i look i love you and i love the person asked this question but why do they care what you define the west side as what I is that maybe, i don't even maybe, get that question maybe they wanted me to include colerator maybe they wanted to test my my sense of geography of the west side maybe they're like this hick from kentucky doesn't know anything about cincinnati i do yeah well, no, I and I will tell you, it, the, the question came up last week, and I, I mentioned bowling. When I was a, a high schooler, I bowled on the Super Bowl traveling team, and we traveled over. That's how I got to know the city of Cincinnati. We'd go to a house on the west side or a house, house here or a house on the east side. I mean, I literally traveled around Cincinnati on Sundays bowling in the traveling league. Yeah, did you reference the west side last week when we were talking about that? Maybe I that's what got maybe. them thinking about it. Yeah, maybe. All right, question for Skinny. At this point, many people have seen the video of ASU essentially firing Herm Edwards as he <laughs> exited the field after losing last night. That's we didn't talk about that while we were yeah, talking about their new head coach. That's a brutal video. Which coaches in local sports history could have deserved the same? No, um, that the rule is they have to be a bad coach and bad well, guy. If I'm not mistaken, and again, maybe history is is going to do me wrong here. I 
think David Shula got fired getting on the bus coming back from San Francisco as they were like going to the airport. Nice. I think that if my memory serves me, I think that's right. Um, so yeah, he certainly deserved it. Um, was Shula a jerk off? No, I like Dave. Actually, I got along with him really well. I mean, you could literally call him on the phone and have a 30 minute conversation about stuff with the guy. He was a genuinely decent guy. He just was a overmatched football coach. I mean, I, I felt for him because poor guy is trying to live up to the last name and doesn't always work that way. Oh, so, I've got, I've got the best one. Okay. Give it to me. Lay it on T- me. Then. Tuberville. Oh, no. Quite. Yes. He, yes, absolutely. The way I'm on the field. Well, the, the fact that he literally quit on that program, I mean, he treated that as a retirement job yep. and that's unfair to the fan base and you could, you know, yeah, he deserved to get fired coming off the field. Honestly, maybe on the one where he yelled at the guy to get a job and maybe yeah. at that point the AD goes, no, you, you get, a, get job. a job out. That would have been a great been, video. Yeah. Imagine yeah, if that happened at the end after he yelled that the AD catches him right there. goes, no, you get a job. Yes, See exactly. You, buddy. Exactly. Ask Skinny to either tell us a story about when the two angry guys got under Trumpy's skin the most, or maybe just his best Trumpy story. Either should be interesting. Oh, there's two of them. Um, I, I and Bob. I mean, he. I. I, I got to say this. I mean, that dude's a legend. I grew up listening to him and just hung on every word every night. And and um, and the fact that I actually did a show with him for uh, almost a year is still fascinating to me, just personally. Um, but I, I felt for him because he knew he was getting shoved out by two two jerk-offs like Tom and I. I mean, you, you just feel it coming, right? They were pushing us into that role. Bob was still under contract, and it was like, hey, go make this work. Um, but one of my favorites was he wanted to disagree with you about everything. And so we had a segment each week where Tom Hume, the former Reds pitcher, who was the bullpen coach, would come on. And there was a game the night before in which there was a questionable scoring decision by the late Glenn Sample. Nice man, terrible official score. But a very nice man, but a terrible official score. And so Trumpy asked Tom, he said, you know, that, that call last night, these guys are telling me that, that, that they, they disagree with the scoring. And, and I, I said, because I, I, I hadn't said it to, to, to Bob at that point, I was just making my point of, I thought it was a terribly scored play, whatever. I can't even remember what the play was, but I, I kept saying, he goes, wow, that guy's a great. So I, Tom was on the phone and Bob's trying to make the point. And I said, Glenn Sample is a horrible official score. And Trumpy kind of sat up and he goes, Tom, correct this young man. He goes, well, Bobby's kind of right. <laughs> and I thought, oh, boy, that, you know, that put the poor old guy in his place at that point. Um, the other one was he he liked he was a big smoker. Right. Yeah. And so at one point, our building became smoke free, not just the studios, but I think the building itself. We moved into the Baldwin building uh, right there downtown and it was brand new and they wanted to make it smoke free. Well, he would go during breaks into the stairwell and smoke there. Well, all of a sudden he comes back from break, sits down, and this engineer must have caught him. He came in, and I mean, he read him the riot act like he was a child. The engineer and I even did? Wanted, the engineer did. The engineer read Bob Bob the riot act. Oh. Smoke, and I, I almost wanted to crawl under the like desk because it made me cringy, and I felt bad for Bob. But I want to tell you, t- say this, and this is the truth. Very nice man. I mean, couldn't have been nicer to, to, to Tom and I. I mean, he was a contrarian to the core. Uh, but you know, even after a few years after we had replaced him and he was kind of out and I would see him here and there, couldn't have been nicer. Um, you know, he and Lance McAllister were oil and water when they did some shows together on the air, but when Lance's son was going through what he was going through with leukemia, no one was, no one was more genuine, um, in his affection for that situation than Bob Trumpy was. So, uh, while he was, a, he was, he was hard to get along with on the air, uh, honestly, genuinely to me, and I, I he couldn't have treated me any nicer and, and in a tough situation. So. I didn't hear a lot of Trumpy stuff. That was like just a little bit before I was really listening to sports talk radio and, and paying attention. Did you guys fight a lot on the air? Like, yes. Did you get yeah. into it a lot? Yeah, because well, see, he, he came up in that era of um, he was the only show in town. Um, it was kind of a, you know, he, he actually learned it driving uh, when he was doing anything. And NBC broadcast heard somebody doing sports talk. I might've been Bill Russell come to think of it. The, the late Bill Russell was doing something out in California or wherever it was. And he heard it, he's like, hey, that, that can probably work. And so he pitched the idea. They went ahead and did it. So that was kind of the day of he was authoritative voice, and he would take callers. And, you know, the callers were usually wrong in his opinion because he was the know-all, be-all, end-all. Well, I think I'm the know-all, be-all, end-all at times. So you can imagine how that goes. And you know how Tom is. Tom just is going <laughs> to say what he thinks no matter what the situation. Now, you can 
the thing I've always loved about Tom is I can hit him back with facts and he'll finally back down to the situation, but he's always got a great strong opinion. And so a lot of times Bob would make a point, I would make it, and it felt like I could kind of back him down a little bit. And I don't think he was used to that because like I said, he was in that day of I'm the guy, you're the caller, you're just a fan, I play the sport, click. And that was fine and it worked. I mean, he was highly successful doing it, but then suddenly you have some other voices in there butting heads and it, it, uh, it just didn't go great. All right. Good stuff. That's a good place to leave it. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the question. Um, and again, I just want to make sure that people understand. I, I really respect the hell out of Bob Trumpy. I mean that sincerely. All right, Rick, thanks for, as always, we will be back next week. Actually, we'll be back uh, Sunday with our Bengals postgame podcast. Be sure to have that uh, on your on your mind. We'll have that overnight Sunday into Monday. And then we gotta, uh, we'll probably have this drop a day earlier next week because we got a Thursday night Bengals game, which we'll have a podcast after that. So Good we may point. drop this podcast one day earlier next week. Just keep that in mind. So for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Morning.